Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When uh, we left off last week, Samuel, the little boy, had been sitting in the temple. He had been staying in the temple overnight to keep the eternal light lit. God spoke to him, and he responded, and his mentor figure, Eli, told him how to respond. And old Eli had come to the end of his days. His eyesight had grown dim, but he still had some insight into the workings of the Lord. It was a dry and a waterless time, spiritually speaking. Not many people prophesied. There were no seers out and about, nobody speaking the word of the Lord. And so it was surprising even to old Eli that he should hear from the Lord through this young boy. And the, and the boy was given a word for Eli. And as we shared last week, the word was not a good one for Eli. His sons, who had been scoundrels and corrupting the worship of God, were going to meet an early end, and old Eli would die soon after, and the priesthood would be taken from that family and passed along to Samuel, of all people. Now, in the intervening time, it's just a, a scant couple of chapters in your Bible, the word had come that the Philistines were gathering up and arraying against the people of Israel. Israel had come into a land that had belonged to other people. They had been led there by God, and it was a land that had been promised to their ancestors. And after the exodus from Egypt, and after their time of slavery, after their time of bondage, and after their wilderness wanderings, they came gloriously into the land, not by the might of their hand or by the sword, but by God's own hand were they delivered into the land. Crossing at the, at the ford near Jericho, marching around that city a number of times, the walls falling down, the time of judges was ushered in, a time when God's people lived in the land and God was their king. And whenever there was trouble, someone would rise up brought to the front of the, of the battle by God in order to deliver the people, and then that person would go back and recede back into the background, this long season of judges. And at the end of this long season of judges, Eli, the fourth in line after Aaron, the brother of Moses, the one who had been given all the secrets of how to be a priest in the house of God, the one who was teaching Samuel, Eli hears the word, that the Israelites are going out to battle the Philistines. Now there are Moabites, Amalekites, Ammonites, Edomites, Philistines, constantly coming against God's people. But God's people were prospering. There were many, many Canaanite cultures who worked like dogs day and night and worked their slaves and their, and their beasts of burden all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to try to prosper in the land. God's people did something extraordinary. They took an entire day every week and they ceased their labors. They just sat back. And there was the Sabbath, a weekly holiday 
And they wore it like a wedding ring on the, on the finger of a bride or a bridegroom to show the world that they, they belong to Yahweh, to show the world that they belong to the God of Scriptures. And somehow these people who only worked six out of seven days, they prospered in the land. And whenever a threat came up against them, they were, they were okay. And they had an ark, a little box. And inside the ark were tablets of stone upon which the law that was given to Moses was, was kept. And whenever they brought that ark forward, the power of God helped them prevail against whatever was arrayed against them. And so Eli, sitting on his bench near the temple, near the sanctuary of God, signs off as his sons send the ark off into the distance. And they go to battle the Philistines, and the word comes back, a weary, hurting soldier comes back, and Eli says, what news? And he says, your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark has been stolen by the Philistines. And Eli, an old, rotund man, was so stunned by the news that he fell backwards off his bench, and he broke his neck and died. And Samuel came forward. And under Samuel's leadership and his prayers and the prevailing strength of God, the Philistines who had stolen the ark, they they were afflicted by rats and boils and all kinds of other horrible things. You can read about it. It's a lot of fun to read, actually. But eventually they figured out that, you know, this ark isn't really good for us. It's kind of radioactive. And so They made a bunch of little gold rats and they took them forward as a peace offering and they said to Samuel, will you take the ark back from us? This thing is not good for us. I know the Hebrew people must have loved to tell this part of the story. It's funny, God got one up on our enemy, it's awesome. It's okay to chuckle at that. It's a story meant to be a story that encourages us to trust in Almighty God and in the strength and in the power of God. Oh, that we truly could put our trust in God in this way. And so Samuel became part judge and seer and prophet, and he ruled as much as anyone could rule, which is to say he kept the community of God centered around God. And he would go to Gilgal, and he would go to Bethel, and he would go to Mitzpah, and then he would go back to his home at Ramah, and he would hear all the cases and the, and the grievances of the people, and he would judge rightly according to the laws of God, and the people prospered until one day Samuel had grown to be an old man. And this is where Dan began to read for us today. And the people, not the people, the elders, a title that carried with it some kind of respect and some kind of dignity. The elders came to Samuel and said, you are old and your children don't follow the ways of God. Now, I wonder if on my first Sunday here at Funko, if I had started out by saying, you are all old and none of your children are in church with us today. How would you have heard it if the preacher had said that to you that day? I'm an elder in the body of Christ. Would that have gone over well with you? No. Didn't go over very well with Samuel either. 
Because the next thing that these elders did was they asked Samuel, give us a king to rule over us. Give us a king. And Samuel was so grieved that he went to his knees in prayer and he sought out the Lord and he said, Lord, these people are asking for a king. What shall we do to them? Now, I don't know if you have ever heard a sigh when you go to God in prayer. But Samuel did that day. A big, deep sigh. And then God did the unthinkable. Samuel, give them what they want. Give them what they want. There are times when God is mighty and powerful in our eyes. There are times when the sustaining strength of God is all we can talk about. There are times when God's love illuminates everything that we can see. But there are times, my friends, when there is a kind of divine wistfulness. That God isn't going to destroy utterly, but is going to give us the leash that we ask. And it's a frightening thought. No, Samuel, I want you to give them what they want. But I want you to warn them what it's going to be like. And what Samuel reports to the people is, here's how it's going to be with your king. He's going to institute a draft. He's going to conscript your, conscript your children to be chariot drivers, infantrymen, cavalrymen. He's going to be taxing everything. In the old days, you took a tenth of your first fruits and you went out and you sent it up as an offering before the Lord and then you and your family sat down and consumed the offering. You ate it, but you dedicated it to the Lord. As a sign of all that God was going to do for you, you took the first fruits and you, you had the party up front. You shared the blessing at the beginning and it was motivation to you and it, and it caused your hearts to leap and to sing and you were all the more encouraged to go out and to seek the Lord's favor because the abundance in the first fruit was such that it held the promise of greater abundance in all that was to follow. And the king is going to take that tithe and he's going to use it to support his own court and to pay all the fawning people that come around and need to be bribed out in order to stay loyal to the king. Oh yes, he'll take the wealth of your nation and he'll spend it, not on a sacrifice to the Lord or on you, but on himself. That's how it's gonna be with the way of kings. And before you know it, you yourselves will be slaves to this king. Wait a minute. The people who had been slaves in Egypt, and it was so onerous that their cries from the mud pits of Egypt reached the throne room of God, are now asking God to put their neck back in a noose, to become slaves all over again? How can this be? Well, of course, it wasn't all the people that were asking. It was the elders, the ones who had uh, prospered in the land the ones who had acquired in the land, the ones who, when they walked in past the city of Jericho, had nothing to lose, now had everything to lose because they had amassed some wealth. 
And they had things to pass along to their children and, and they were beginning to be afraid and they needed, they were asking for a king, but what they were really asking for, what God and Samuel and everyone else knew they were asking for was a battle chief. So that when the Philistines or the Ammonites or the Amalekites came and arrayed themselves, they'd have somebody to go forward and say, here is our king, here are our troops. Somebody who rides in a limousine and that we can be proud of as they roll into the gathering of nations. We want a king like every other nation on the earth. And Samuel told them, prophesied, shared with them the truth of how it will be. And you know, they didn't ask for God, they asked for the king. They asked for the king. Through a series of remarkable events, a young man in his father's house, the dad's name was Kish, and the man's name was Samuel, and he was sent on an errand by his dad to find some donkeys that had run away. And he went out looking for the donkeys. And after a few days, he said to the young lad that was with him, we should probably turn around and go back. My, my parents are going to be wondering no more about the donkeys. They'll be wondering about me and whether I've disappeared. And the, the young lad says, look, I have a half shekel, a quarter shekel of silver. Then there's a seer, there's a prophet that lives in the next town over. Let's go and see him. Maybe he can, he can show us about our journey. And that prophet was an old man named Samuel. And Samuel had been told that he would see the king that God had chosen as he came out of his house that morning. And so Saul and Samuel bumped into each other. And they shared a meal together. And then Samuel said, send the boy on ahead. I need to talk to you for a minute. And he pulled out a flask of oil and he anointed Saul and said, you are going to be the leader over all these people. He anointed him. Because God had given permission. And so God had given an anointing that had passed from Eli to Samuel and now was passing from the age of the judges into the age of the kings. And we are going to come to see over the next few weeks, this is not an easy thing. Complex, diverse, quirky communities are almost ungovernable. You have to learn to get along in them. And the only way it works is that if every last citizen of that community takes their own responsibility for being patriotically devoted to God in a powerful, connected way. I, I hope you can hear the heartbreak of God in today's passage. But it's not a heartbreak, it's never been a heartbreak with our God that ends in destruction of the enemy. It's a heartbreaking in order to reveal the greater tenacity, enduring persistence of the love of God. Now I have to love you through this. So hard. 
so hard to be Yahweh and to, to set these people apart to be a light to the nations so that people can watch how much they are in love with God and learn the way it's supposed to be among the nations. And then one day to hear these people say, we want a king like every other nation. To realize that God was saying, but that's the point. I needed you to be unlike every other nation. I pray a lot about our own nation. I didn't know what this summer was going to look like when I prayed last September and the Lord showed me this series, something that we all needed to move through. But the more I read, the more pertinent it all seems. And friends, you and I have been part of a nation that has been a light to all the world. And Jesus was very clear, very clear. You don't take the light of God and hide it anywhere. So we cannot be a nation isolated. We have to be in the midst of all of it. But we have to be a nation with God at the center. I don't know how to do that, except that I'm going to try my best to shepherd the people that God has given me to shepherd. And I hope that you will do your best to shepherd and love the people that God has given you to influence. My dad had a choice. One day, standing in a dairy field, he knew it was dumb to point that arrow straight in the air and then lay down. But everyone else was doing it. Everyone else was doing it. On a global scale, it's so easy to say, but everyone else is doing it. But the only way you and I can be the difference is if we remember that we are meant to be a people unlike everyone else. Different because we're full of the light of God. And in order to call us back to that, we have to hear a sort of divine wistfulness today. We have to hear God sighing and calling to us, return to me, return to me. For the Lord gives and gives and gives and gives, but all the king knows how to do is take. Amen.